Our teaching text is from Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty, my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Thanks to God. God. Well, good morning again. As I said, I am uh, very glad to be uh, back in Brooklyn and back in our church this morning. I was able to spend a few weeks away, uh, and I'm deeply grateful for, for the gift that that is, uh, to be able to get away and get recharged a bit. Uh, the majority of our, of our time away as a family, we spent uh, with my extended family in South Carolina, in Charleston, and then at my mom's home in, in Greenville, South Carolina. But the first few days of the trip... Uh, we spent with a family, the Jones family, from, from Dublin, Ireland, and um, they were over here on a sort of mini sabbatical in, in America, and we spent a few days with them, showing them around Charleston, uh, introducing them to uh, Southern food and Southern uh, draws, and they were very fascinated with all of that. Um, Rob Jones is the pastor at Holy Trinity in Dublin. They're kind of a sister church of ours, someone we've been in partnership with. Uh, f over the last few years, um, Rob's actually spoken at our church several times, um, and many of you might even remember back in December, I uh, kind of unexpectedly had to go to Ireland for a few days um, because uh, Rob's brother Graham lost a battle to cancer that he had been fighting for uh, only a couple of years. Uh, Graham was in training to become a pastor himself, and it was a you know, kind of a devastating uh, loss that came on, you know, so much more suddenly than we would imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, just even now thinking of crying out for baby Georgia when I was away and, and the, the joy at God answering those prayers and, and having similar moments of praying for Graham and uh, the results not being what, what I wanted and how we make sense of God and God's faithfulness in those two extremes is a real, is a real challenge and certainly not to be uh, moved past too quickly. But, um, 
but it, it impacted this trip in that Rob and his wife Dillis and their kids were planning to come on this sabbatical to America and spend time, spend some time with us. But the trip took on a little bit of a different form when Graham passed, and so they brought Graham's wife and and her uh, their their children on as well. So they had this massive like uh, fifteen passenger Dodge Sprinter spy van. You know those things? You see them parked out. You're like, who's? What are they doing? Is this Alexa? Has she finally come for me? Um, She's listening, folks. That's, uh, that's been proven, so just Google that. Um, but uh, we had an incredible time with them. We're, we're, uh, we were going to the beach and eating, eating great food, and, and I was looking for, forward to a moment when I would be able to really catch up with Rob. It's um, one of the gifts in life to have real strong, deep friendships and to be with someone who there's a shorthand when you do the same thing and you kind of like, we know the types of burdens that it comes with leading a church in a city and... Um, and, and all, all those types of things. So on, on one of the last nights we were there, it was myself, uh, Rob, and Josh, our, our executive pastor, sitting out on the front porch of this, this house and having one of those late night porch conversations. It's sort of like it has to be a certain hour and you have to kind of be on a porch or outside and, and you just you get into the real things of life. We're updating each other on the highs and lows of what our experience has, has, has been um, over the last stretch. And we'd listen to Rob to share from his heart about how do you get up and, and you know, expound on the faithfulness of God when you've just asked God to heal your brother and, and he, he passes away from cancer and, uh, and, and dealing with the pain of that, but also dealing with the, the, this through line of hope that he kept coming back to. We, he talked about um, dear friends of his that were walking with him in, in this process that end up leaving their church and unexpectedly right after Graham's passing and the added pain of thinking there was these people you were gonna walk with and they were, now, they were now gone. But there's also these incredible opportunities. They've just had unprecedented favor from the Church of Ireland on their church, Holy Trinity, and they're, able, they're building this basically like residential discipleship village for practicing the way of Jesus in the heart of Dublin. And this incredible facility is, is under construction right now. So we're talking literally about the highs and lows. I was sharing from my heart about feeling like 2019, I'm in a completely different place than I've been in the last two years. Um, I've shared ad nauseum from, from the front in the, in the pulpit about how 2017 and 2018 were the hardest years of my life in ministry. And I felt like what I said on the front porch was I feel like God is leading me into this wider space of pasture, of, of knowing his love and care in, in a different way. How in those two years, I felt like almost without really fully paying attention to it, I had fallen into some unhealthy, unhelpful patterns of, of thinking about my life, of coping with my life, of thinking about other people. I was like, I, was, I felt all this entitlement and this deserving of indulgence. I was feeling like the barometer on my love for people sort of go down because there was just so much conflict going on. But I felt like God has been bringing me in this, in this new year, and it's like, I know it's like half over, this is how it goes now, but... Um, like God is bringing me into this wider space and bringing freedom in some really practical ways in my life. And we have this shared language talking about uh, the expectations people have on, on you when you're a pastor and how sometimes you, f- you can fulfill those and then sometimes you have to intentionally not fulfill those and what that's like. And in, that, in the course of that story, there's a reason why I'm being so detailed about what we talked about on the front porch. We're going somewhere, folks, okay? Um, but we talked about the story in 1 Samuel where David is going to fight Goliath, but he can't wear Saul's armor, even though everything about Saul's armor seems like it would work better than David's like no armor and slingshot situation. Um, and so, but, but he can't, he can't, he can't operate it. He hasn't worn it. It's not, it's not for him. I was sharing how much Alpha 
has meant to me over the last four years, this, this space that we have every spring and every fall to, to host and have conversations with people who are on all different ends of the faith spectrum, people who are atheists and agnostic and don't believe at all, and people who are, have been burned and hurt by the church, and how those conversations have been like a, a steady little trickle of life into my heart in the middle of some really challenging times, and how I have a writing project that I'm working on right now addressed to those types of, uh, of people that I've been meeting in Alpha over the last couple of years. And finally, at the end of the night, we're pastors, so this is how we have to end every conversation. Rob lays his hands on me, and he's praying for me. We're contractually obligated. This is how we end conversations. So he prays these beautiful faith-building things over me. And one of the things that really stood out to me was he prays about Jesus restoring his disciples on the beach after his resurrection. This moment where some of them had failed and run away and fled. Some of them had totally fallen flat on their expectations and he just builds them up and sort of charges them to go forward in this movement of love and movement of salvation that he was empowering them to walk in. So, great night. Uh, it, it, on its own, it would have been a highlight of the trip, just sharing my heart, strengthening this friendship, being prayed for by, by Rob, uh, who I so love and respect. The next morning, I got up early Went back on the front porch, no one was out there yet, and I opened up the lectionary, which is a daily, um, a daily readings from the Book of Common Prayer. All across the world, people are reading these same, you know, same passages from the Bible. There's a morning psalm, there's an evening psalm, there's an Old Testament passage, there's a New Testament passage, and there's a gospel reading every day in the lectionary. So this is part of my morning routine. I get up, I go out on the porch, I open it up. The first psalm, the morning psalm that morning was Psalm 18. I'm reading through it, and there's, uh, the psalmist says, God rescued me and brought me into a wide and spacious place. He gave pasture for my heart or something like that. And I just thought, ha, huh, that's pretty funny. That's like almost the exact language that I used with Rob last night when we, when we were talking. That's sort of how I would describe what God's doing in my life. And then it got weird, basically. The Old Testament reading was David and Saul. Um, and I was like, well, what are the chances? We just talked about Saul's armor last night on the porch, and like the psalm was the same, and now this passage from the Old Testament is there. The New Testament was about Peter and Cornelius and how he has to break all these expectations that people have on him as an apostle and as a minister to go and address P Cornelius, this God-fearer who's, who's had this searching going on in his heart, and they both had these wild dreams, and they encounter one another, and how like it ends up changing the entire scope of the church's life that they, they begin to to bring in these other people. Um, and I was like, what? This is exactly what we talked about. Then the gospel reading was Jesus and his disciples on the beach, praying for one another. They're just like, stop it. What's happening here? It was so bananas. I literally thought, Rob read ahead. He skipped a day, read ahead, and then like maneuvered the conversation masterfully. I'm a little scared of him now um, to, to hit all these points. I, I actually went back and asked him, and uh, he, he did not. So then I'm dealing with this reality like it was a gift it was a gift from God. I don't know any other way to say it. Like we had this conversation, it wove through all these different threads. It was vulnerable, it was honest. Um, all these things sort of seemingly came up at random and the next morning like some kind of gift, God gave me this moment of 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 seeing that he, I am seen, I am known and sitting on that front porch I had the strongest sense of God's love and care. Just, I couldn't orchestrate this. And I'm so glad that he knows me. I got out my journal and I like furiously wrote. Um, this is what I do when I'm like, I gotta get down what God's saying to me. It was an incredible moment. I'm sitting there on the front porch, uh, worshiping God for being so close, for knowing the things that we need. 
for the power of his word. Like you hear like almost like tritely, like God's word is living and active. And, and we can hear things so many times that we forget that it actually has the power to, to be that, that you can, you can hear the same thing that you've heard 1,000 times and this time it has such a new and specific way of applying to your heart. I was grateful for deep friendships. I was grateful for, for prayer. And I wanna tell you this because, right, praying for baby Georgia and praying for, for Graham and the totally different outcomes there. I, I had other mornings on the vacation that I got up early and went out to the front porch like, all right, God, what do you got for me today? And, and it wasn't like that at all. I was tired. I was distracted. I didn't get any like startling insights. Like children came out and wanted sugary cereal. Like I had to go back in. Like it, not everything was amazing. But I started to think about that particular morning. I, I was thinking about the different ways I could have missed it. Right? I could have just kept the conversation that night like on a surface level, and we could have just sat out there and chatted and never really shared what was going on, never shared our struggles, never shared our doubts, never shared our fears. I could have done that, and I would have missed that experience that morning. I could have, I could have slept, actually, like this is the real thing. I could have slept one extra hour, and there would have been lots of justifications. I'm on vacation. I deserve to sleep. Uh, I want to be rested so I can be with, you know, like with the kids all, all day today, like and yet, I got up, I, sh I showed up out there, and just by showing up that morning on the front porch saying, God, here I am, I would like to hear from you, I would like to, my, to begin my day aware of your presence, just because of that, I got this meaningful gift, a sense of God's nearness, a sense of God's care, a sense of God's love. I just want to tell you, pastorally, like this is the simplest thing ever, and of course you would expect me to say this, but from the bottom of my heart as the pastor of this church, I want to ask you to show up, <laughs> to, to talk and listen to God in that way uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Jesus makes these staggering promises. He says, I have come to give you life and to give you life in abundance, to give it to you to the full. Like of all the like deep spiritual things we could talk about and uncover and, and undergirding principles of life, like just show up and talk and listen with God and see what, what, it, what it does I want to tell you, I'm growing as I get older, as my beard gets grayer, um, I have this overwhelming, growing conviction that what, one of the things Jesus is talking about when he's talking about that abundant life is not the circumstances of your life taking fundamentally dramatic turns towards the easy and good. It's a relational communion with God in the middle of whatever's really happening. That that's part of maybe even the husk substance of of, 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 of the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. There are so many things, like, and we don't take the time to sort of categorize them and evaluate them, but there are so many things vying for influence in your life. And I just wanna say most of the things that are vying for influence in your life do not have the wisdom and love necessary to guide your life to a flourishing place. So many of these, these voices in our world that would shape your life, that would give direction, that would, that would inform you what normal is, would inform you of what a good life is. So many of those influences and voices, they don't see you enough. They don't know the layers of your soul all the way, the way God does. Like, that's what happened to me on that front porch. It's like, God, you see all the layers. It's like, you know, the, the psalmist in Psalm 139 is like, you, you know me all the way. Like, you get it before I say it. Like, you know it before I feel it. What's happening? You know me. And I want to say, whatever you choose to be the guiding guide in your life, let it be something that knows you that way. 
Because there's so many things that are vying for influence that just don't have the wisdom or the love to really guide our lives to a place of flourishing, thriving, abundance. They don't grasp enough of you, and I don't think they grasp enough of the world. I like, I've been freaking out a little bit reading all this stuff. I've got, I've got boys sitting in this room that are, that are cresting into to being teenagers, and I'm like looking at like how people interact with technology and screens and like the, you know, like the messages that can pour in through phones and that their, their, their peers are going to be dealing with and they're going to be dealing with. And it's like, man, like every generation forever has, has said this, but like the youth culture thing is terrifying to me. Like, even just, like, the posters of the HBO shows of, like, this is what it's like. And I'm like, please let it not be like that. And I don't know, and I get it, and everyone who's, like, 38 doesn't get it. I know, but I'm wrestling, see? And I'm like, what are the things that are going to shape, that, are, that I'm going to give enough volume to be my guide? for this process of parenting, for their process of growing up, for your process of, of, of living. See, John 10, when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full, you know what it comes immediately after? It comes immediately after, the, it says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That there are guides, shepherds, so there's two contrasting shepherds, and if you want to say shepherds, like in the, in the you know, ancient Near East first century metaphor, right, the shepherds are guiding the very dumb sheep, I'm sorry, towards life and pasture and nutrients and safety, and there's two types of shepherds, one that's about themselves and is willing to exploit and hurt and be aggressive with and steal and kill and whatever, destroy the sheep, and the other is willing to literally give his life for the sheep's well-being and life. And, and that's the, the metaphor where Jesus says, I've come. So it's like two different sets of guides for who's going to shape your life. And Jesus says, I can give you life and give it to you to the full. And if you want to access that, one simple, powerful way is to show up each morning or each afternoon or each evening whenever you do it. This is not about religious rule-keeping. Show up and talk and listen with God. Say something simple like, Jesus, I want you to be the shepherd of my life today. <laughs> I want to live in your name. I want to live by your spirit. If you have something that you could say to me, would you say it and would you help me be able to hear it, unclog my ears, remove the distraction, lift the weight of this anxiety or depression, break through, like, and, and, and know that you're gonna have days that are like that front porch day in Charleston, you're gonna have other days where you don't get anything, but like it's, it's a relationship, so you just keep going. So this morning, coming back after three weeks away, I wanted to teach something that wasn't just like, oh, here's a sugar stick sermon that I've had, you know, waiting in the wings. I wanted to speak on something that came up in this week's reading, so it's like, I want to just give you what I am trying to get uh, from the Lord in the mornings. Uh, fr friends of ours call it fresh bread. Like, what's your fresh bread for today? So, I know, I want to say this. I know you guys are, are, are New Yorkers and the best kind, Brooklynites, and that you have a lot of very important things going on in your life. I just want to say everyone knows that is true. You have the most things going on, and they're all wildly and tremendously important, and no one else could do them. We understand that. That is true. 
One of the most interesting things I heard in, we had this, uh, it's, not a, it's not a survey, folks, it's a church life assessment. Um, but we're, we're doing this church life assessment and we're hearing all these input pour in from people who are in our church. And one of the things that I pastorally began to note was people speak about their schedules like they're just dominant wild beast, untamable, and I, it just runs me over. I have no choice in it whatsoever, but it crushes me to the bone and flattens out every spare minute I might possibly have. I couldn't do a single thing more than I'm doing. That's it. <laughs> See? <laughs> right? We should just know what does it mean for us if our schedules dominate us? What does it mean for us if we speak about our schedules and we personify them, like he just won't let me do anything anymore. I've got no margin. Like, we, we, I'm not even preaching about that, but we should, we, should, we should note what that means. And I wanna say this, right? Of course, you will carve out time, not for what you say is important, but for what you really in your heart of hearts believe is important. And I wanna say you can carve out time to talk and listen with God every day. And if you do it, it will be a hinge point, an access point for the abundant life Jesus is talking about. So I want to ask you to do that this summer with whatever's remaining of, of a, a slightly downgraded uh, you know, space of life. For our, our, for maybe summer feels crazier for you than normal, but whatever it is, I want to, I want to invite you to commune with God. Not because you're supposed to, because that's what good Christians do. Drop that. Forget that. Do it because you... you want to experience communion because you want to hear God speak to you because you want to know God is listening to you. It's part of the abundant life that Jesus promised. So anyway, Tuesday I was reading the lectionary again and the morning psalm was Psalm 62. That is officially the longest introduction ever in the history of, of church. Don't worry about that. But if you want to read the lectionary and you don't know where to find it, here it is. Um, the, so ESV.org, you can go there, you can go there now, and you can read the lectionary throughout the rest of my sermon. But you go there, and, and you, I think you have to give them your email or something so that they can sell it to, I don't know, a foreign country. But then you can read the lectionary with a free Bible app. Great. Um, if you're an app developer, would you please develop the lectionary app that is beautiful, clean, and simple, and also with the NIV, okay? We teach from the NIV, so I'm always like having, here's what I do. I go to the ESV, and I read what the passages are, and then I go to my special NIV app, and I read it there. Anyway, that's just a little window into my life. But if you're looking for, for this, there's another one. If you want an app on your phone, BCP, Book of Common Prayer. It's a terribly ugly app. It has a black Bible and a, and a gold cross on it. It says BCP, put it on your phone. It gives you the lectionary passages. If you're just like, hey, I want to read what Christians all over the world are reading this morning, here you go. You can connect with, with the lectionary. So Psalm 62 was read for you just a few minutes ago by Robin Beautifully. And at the end of it, it talks about the unfailing love of God. And I was like, what a better thing for us to meditate on than how practically do you connect on a daily basis with the unfailing love of God? If you left after a church service and you're like, I feel a little bit more equipped to daily connect, to daily rely on the unfailing love of God, I feel like it'd be worth you coming this morning. So the, the gospel, the good news, right, that the, the first century Christians declared was that Jesus is king, not Caesar. 
And that meant that God is in charge of the world. And so God's relational framework is, is what's going to win the day. And that God is broken in and is sharing with us what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had from before the foundations of the world. He's inviting us in to know communion as sons and daughters. And so Jesus, when he's praying for us, right before he goes to the cross, he's like, let them in on what we've shared from before the foundations of the world. And when you show up simply to read an ugly designed lectionary app early in the morning, You are an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. You're showing up to hear, to listen, to talk, to commune with God, to share in that thing that they have shared from before the foundations of the world. One God in community, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Daily living in the gospel means communing with God. So... I simply want to quickly fly through this psalm and show you how it's a map for how you can commune with him as well. So the opening says, says this. This is the opening of the psalm. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Just let that sink in for a minute. If you're a regular reader of the Psalms, then this type of language is going to be somewhat familiar to you. But this, this type of thing shows up on a regular basis. Now, we're about to find out in the very next verses that not everything is going wonderfully in the psalmist's life. But he begins by showing up and saying, no matter how I'm feeling, and he's not feeling great... No matter how I'm feeling, I'm going to start with this confession. Basically, I'm not going to start my day listening to whatever my brain randomly throws at me. I'm going to start my day confessing something that is bigger than me, confessing something that is deeper and wider and longer and truer than me. I'm going to start my day meditating on on this reality about God. I had an interesting... I was reading a few commentaries on this, and there's interesting, in the, in the original Hebrew, the, the translation is um, basically like, I'm, I'm quiet, or you could almost read it like, I'm totally out of words uh, in the original Hebrew. Derek Kinder, who, who, who comments on this, says, here the opening phrase has a telling simplicity in its literally, literal form, truly or only towards God, my soul is silence. That's literally what the Hebrew says. Truly or only towards God, my soul is silent. Or it might be best translated into English, truly my heart waits silently for God. The words have all been said, or perhaps no words will come, and the issue rests with him alone. How many of you guys are familiar with that emotional plane? (laughs) I've said everything I know to say. I don't have the words. I'm just trying to show up in some way. That's what the psalmist is saying at the beginning of this. I'm, I'm turning my reality over to God. And this is pre-coffee. I feel awful, but I'm doing it. And then I, I look at the words that the psalmist uses to describe God. He says, you're my rest. You're my salvation. You're my rock. You're my fortress, right? You give peace and shalom to my heart. You are literally my rescuer, the one who has done what I can't do for myself. You brought me into your kingdom. You are my rock. You're somehow higher than I. You are a fortress, right? You're something that I can run into and pull the ladders up so nobody else can climb in and I can find safety. These are the words the psalmist used. And because of this, I will never be shaken. So, Whatever it is 
to daily rely on the unfailing love of God, it means just first coming and recognizing the character of God and speaking it no matter what my mood, what my circumstances are, and remembering he's a rock, he's a fortress, he's my salvation. That's the, that's the confidence. If I'm gonna not be shaken, it's gonna be because of this. So that's the opening. Then we see there are real challenges going on in, in the psalmist's life. We have massive amounts of conflict, okay? The next the next passage goes on, how long would you assault me, right? And we fly through these words, right? And we make them mean something that they don't actually mean. But think about what it is to be assaulted. It is like real, real violent conflict going on in this person's life. Would, you, would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Right after this confession, you're my rest, you're my salvation, you're my rock, you're my fortress, comes real life. (laughs) Pay attention in the Psalms to the language of pain and how they come, interspersed between, God, are you there? God, I think you're there. God, I think you're a rock. But these people are coming after me. They're kicking down my door. They're dragging me out. They're smearing my reputation. They're after my job. They hate me. They're attacking me. There's all kinds of tension. Right when I'm at my weakest, they're trying to kick me down. There is real conflict, the language of pain. He says, how long will you assault me? How long will you throw me down, right? Some of you know what it is to be like the experiencing someone else's aggression in this way. Like it feels like someone is out to get you. Like we learned this, many of us learned this when we were kids and we have our adult examples. I remember the first time I was really bullied. I was in sixth grade. I was, I was coming into a new school, and, and some kids in my neighborhood had got the idea that I thought I was a tough guy. And so they were like, we're going we're gonna to show him that he's, he's, he's like starting at, at, at ground zero here in this school. So I remember getting off the bus one day, and they had been taunting me on the bus the whole time. I'm like, I'm like I just got to get to my house. It's like two blocks away. I can do this. And they surrounded me, and they like put forth one Goliath, this dude Brian Long, who was in eighth grade, but like looked like he was like you know, 35. Um, <laughs> He's just like, let me check my 401k. We didn't have, it, have phones back then. He's like, let's fight. And I'm like, you're going to eat me. He's like, let's fight. And I'm like, I would fight you, and I think I could win, but all of your friends are around, so I choose not to. Um, and so I, like, break out of the circle and walk home, and they're following me, taunting me. So when I think about, like, um, like, how my body, my nervous system reacted to that, I was terrified. I'm all walking, and, like, I still had that vision click into my mind. When I start to be anxious or someone's, like, super aggressive to me, I'll just have this, like, memory of, of being followed by these bullies as they're taunting me. And, like, I finally, like, they, suddenly, like, it was pretty nice. It was, like, a movie version. of They never actually grabbed me and, like, beat me to a pulp. But I got into my house, and then they threw rocks at my house. It's like, come on, guys. Because you definitely don't want my father to come home and see you've thrown rocks. And then there's going to be opposite, opposite bullying going on. But the, right, you know the grown-up equivalent to that when your nervous system just like leaps up because someone's coming at you? There's also exploitation. When I'm weak, I'm a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Kender, I'll give him one, one more time. And this isn't on the screen. But he says, evil, being ruthlessly competitive, is attracted to weakness to give a last push to whatever is leaning or tottering. It is also attracted to strength, the target of its envy and duplicity, to topple him from his height, which is a translation. It is a total contrast to the goodness of God, which spares the bruised reed and is glad when we are weak because he is strong. 
we have aggression. We have this person ex experiencing exploitation. We see duplicity at work. People who are saying one thing but doing another. There's no unity between their heart and their mouth. There's, there's brokenness run through. Right? This, I'm so sick of this happening. I finish a talk or I've got it laid out and then I go and open, open the phone as I'm going to sleep and there's another insane shooting in our country. Are you sick of this happening? Right, last night in El Paso, another insanely violent thing takes place, right? People are killed as they're going shopping on a regular, on a regular day and it's like, what is going on? We are mentally ill as a nation. We are fundamentally broken as a country and it's like our best solutions don't seem to be getting any traction. What do I do, right? And so that's for me where the rubber meets the road. Truly God is my rest and my fortress and my salvation and my rock and what the hell is happening? We're a leaning wall and a tottering fence and we're being shoved over and people are kicking in our, our stores and shooting them up and our politicians are, 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 are in this insane reality show that we can't seem to get a handle on and what's going on with us as a people. I take comfort because the psalmist, as he's praying, seems to be learning. And I think we need that so much as individuals, as a, as a culture. Uh, we need to, to, to learn as we pray, to learn as our compassion grows for one another. The next, very next part of the psalm, he repeats what he says at the beginning almost exactly. Uh, Wait, this is, the, this is the actual beginning. Can we go a little bit down to where we see truly again? Yes, right here, perfect. So almost the exact same thing is repeated. So here's what we have. We have this confession about who God is, and then we have the real language of pain, of aggression, of exploitation, of duplicity, of, of looking at the world and saying what is going on, and then we have another confession about who God is. And so basically, this time he says, before he said it like a confession, like, I'm supposed to say I don't have any words, but God is good. Now he speaks to his own soul. Truly the innermost part of me, you've got to find shalom in God. You have to find a source deeper than your your own resources, higher than your own self. My hope comes from him. That's a difference. So the two differences from the first confession is we have hope in this one, and he says at the end, my honor depend on God. So it's the same exact confession as before, right? You see this in the Hebrew scriptures all the time, right? This is before the printing press, and so as an oral culture, the way they learned to sing the scriptures was there was a whole bunch of things that repeated over and over again. So you, you sing the first lines, and then you sing the second lines, and it's like the chorus, and you're starting to get it. But when something changes in the chorus, you need to pay attention to it. So the difference is, after in prayer, the things he's able to add from his own heart is, now I, have, I do have some hope about this. It is a dialogue situation we are in the middle of, but I do have some hope about this. And then ultimately he says, my honor, the truest thing about me depends on God. So he's learning about, in prayer, about his current reality, and then in just a second he's going to kind of make a statement about the world. This painful conflict is not the defining reality of my life, that's hope. And then honor, ultimately the truest thing about me is not in the hands of other people. In the crucible of real life pain, the psalmist is rooting his heart and mind in God and he's being strengthened by it. 
one of the reasons I want to ask you to show up each day and talk and listen to God is because you don't know when your baby Georgia moment is going to happen. When you're going to be crying out for God and feel utterly overwhelmed with need for him, right? When you're, when the next El Paso moment, right? And we're still in this El Paso moment, but when we're like, what are we doing here? How do we make sense of this? And, and, and if you will practice rooting your heart and mind in the faithfulness of God and in his covenant keeping, I believe that we can begin to be participants in the world in the way God is a participant in the world. He has a reflection then about life as a whole. He says, surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a, a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. So basically like he's got a little distance from his pain now and he makes two observations about the world. Basically this, no matter what your status is, life is short. And the second is don't build your life on corruption. Don't set your heart on these things that are going to go away. The things that are going to last is God and God's kingdom and people. You've never rubbed elbows with a mortal being. All of us are going to last. By the end of the psalm, we have this this sort of observation. He's made an observation about life as a whole. He's invited other people to trust in God in the same way. He has a lot of responsibility as a king. And finally, he says, basically, power belongs to you, God. What a, what a confession for a king to make. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. You reward everyone according to what they have to offer. So David is able, in his circumstances of his world, to be an agent of renewal, right? He has something to offer because he is looking to a source beyond just his own resources. He's experienced renewal in his own heart and mind, even in, the, in some small way in the arc of this prayer. He's learned some things about the, the, the world or relearned them or re, uh, uh, you know, like understood their grasp on, him, on himself. One of my favorite song lyrics is, uh, a glass can only spill what it contains. You wanna be an agent for renewal in our broken world? Like, that renewal has to take place in your own heart, in your own life. You have to be daily refreshed by those streams of renewal in your own life in order to have something to offer. He's able to offer this love and life to others because he's been rejuvenated by this. And this is what we're ending on, God's unfailing love. Can I confess that after El Paso? after all the horrors that we read about almost on a daily basis? What is this, what is this, God's unfailing love? What does it mean? We at least know it means not all of our expectations are going to be met perfectly. In some cases, I think it means that our expectations are gonna have to be rewritten. But I think in the final analysis, we will say God keeps his promises. God is healing. God is rescuing. God is redeeming. And God is looking for those who themselves are participants in renewal to offer that love, that mercy, that forgiveness, that understanding, to look with expanding compassion on our fellow human being and say, what has happened? Where are you coming from? Who are you Right, the message of our kingdom, the kingdom of God, is that people from every tribe and tongue and nation are gonna be brought into the same family. And, and, and that's what the kingdom looks like, this massive celebration of, 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 of unity and life brought by God into the world. And nobody has a claim on saying this is only for us. 
I think the psalm teaches us that God will not work in the same way evil does. Evil always plays along the same lines. It trumps up ego, it works through aggression, it works through self-promotion, it works on the level of dominance, it plays on your lust. It's always saying it's never enough, it's never enough. When you hear that, when your ego is being built up, when you hear that or feel that aggression, self-promotion, lust, dominance, like never enoughness, that is the, the, the other guide, the other shepherd. The other reality, it's not just like some big bad devil out there, it's a flesh in us. It's, it's a system of desires that have been malformed by which we got a bad answer to what is life. And we need to pay attention when those things begin to be the dominant things in our mind. Instead, know that God's coming to you as rest. Jesus is like, you wanna know what I'm like in the world? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Basically, come to, you, come to me, New Yorkers and I will give you rest, salvation. I'll be a rock higher than your moods and circumstances. I'll be a fortress you can run into. You can count on this. God's love is unfailing. I want you just to consider that as we close. God's love is unfailing. Are you counting on this? Or are you dominated by a schedule that won't allow you any moment for reflection because what? You've got to get out there and do it again. If you're not daily relying on the unfailing love of God, let me tell you this, you can today. A little time before the big dinner at four o'clock, you can rely on the unfailing love of God today. So don't spend a bunch of time wasting on guilt or wallowing in religious shame or, or thinking I should have done better. Just start by pouring out your heart to God. That's what the psalmist says. At the end, he's out of words, but then later he tells us to pour out our hearts to God. Take everything you feel about our country, about El Paso, about, about the grief that you've experienced, about the abuse that's happened to you, about your anxiety and depression and lack of money and frustration about your schedule dominating you. Take all of it and pour it out in front of God and be like, there it is. Pray like that. Pour it out in front of him and see what you get back. Hear the compassion of God who says, I am acquainted with grief, but I want to anoint you with joy. Something beyond these circumstances, something beyond your moods. I want to show you over time, and guess what? We have eternity that my love is unfailing. Show up. And if you want some words to say, you can pray simple things like this as you begin. I want to live today in Jesus' name. Come and fill me with your spirit. Speak to me. I am listening. Lead me today. I want to live this day in Jesus' name. Come and fill me with your spirit. Speak to me. I am listening. Lead me this day in your unfailing love. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for our church that in the real throes of life, you would meet with us. We would meet with you. I pray this morning, God, in our pre-service prayer, people were speaking that there's words of breakthrough for, for us as a church today, that there are words of people that just finally have been holding on for so long and need to finally just let go. I pray in Jesus' name that that would be experienced today, that we would feel your embrace and we would receive it. We would know your love. We would know your truth speaking to us.
Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to experience your unfailing love as we worship, as we come to the table, as we pray for one another. Show us, God, each of us, in our, in our heart of hearts, how to respond. In Christ's name, amen.